You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and I've got another um, guest special, um, celebrity hips fan and uh, TV presenter, actor and probably more famous pantomime villain, Grant Stott. Grant, welcome along. How are you doing? I'm good, John. Thank you very much for inviting me along. Um, Yeah, and thank you for that very, very gentle introduction. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's interesting how this actually came about because um, Colin McCready um, retweeted uh, um, the, the STV programme, the game that was filmed before France 98, and you commented, and I thought, I'm going to um, ask you if you want to come along, so thanks very much. I mean, did that bring back um, good memories watching that programme with um, your good old yeah, friend, well, Andy it was, it, Yeah, well, it was a surprise on a number of levels because obviously I've... I'd known Andy and, and, you know, very dear friend of mine for, for many, many years. And, and I think that date that came, that was filmed in 1998 and yeah. it was about the World Cup in 78. Yes. And that was round about the time I met Andy. So I think he must have already filmed that just after, just before we actually met for the first time. And for whatever reason, it was something that just wasn't on my radar at all. Andy had certainly not mentioned it. I'd, also, I'd worked with Alex Norton as well in the past, um, so I knew I knew Alex. And this popped up not long after Andy sadly passed away. And uh, as you see, it was Colin McCready who who put it on Twitter, and I just sat and watched it. And um, it was it was just lovely on so many levels. It was lovely to see Andy in something I'd never seen him do before. Lovely to see Andy in a play, um, which obviously had comedy elements in it, but uh, had a, a wonderful storyline. And lovely to see Andy doing something about football, of which he famously had no idea at all in any way, shape or form. Um, a Perth lad born and bred, and um, he would often, you know, whenever I had any football chat with him, I'd say, oh, I was at the Hibs game on Saturday or whatever. He would go, oh, yes, St. Johnston, St. Johnston, la, 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 la. And that would be his way of... Uh, of, of sort of ingratiating himself with a football chat. <laughs> so for him to do a play all based around football and Scotland's performance in the World Cup in 78, I thought was just uh, was just lovely. And it's yet another one of these little moments of, of which I've had many where I just wanted to, to phone him and, and talk to him about things that have happened and, and that, because I would love to have had to talk to him about um, about the making of that, because it's a lovely wee three, well, four-hander uh the place so um so yeah so and then it led on to us having a chance so so there we are exactly and uh the thing is it was annoying me because i remember a lot about that france 98 build up and that was also um, a part of it but you couldn't find it anywhere on youtube and i'd obviously spoken to colin previously and this this get mentioned and then i found that i sent it to colin he tweeted it It was just brilliant and um, alec norton's another one that didn't like football but he played a good part of a rangers man (laughs) Well, that's that's the thing about you know how good how good actors they all were, you know, um, you know, because uh, one thing I think a, a football fan out of all, you know, walks of life, a, a football fan can spot somebody that's faking it, can spot somebody that's not a true football fan. Um, so I think they all did a very good job of carrying off their their own Celtic and Rangers performances in that in that particular play. 
yeah, the, the line I, I liked him, we have a great understanding, we're both bigots. I just thought that was absolutely <laughs> cool. Some got all up. Yeah, it, was a, up. It, was, it was a great piece. It was a great it, piece. It definitely was. Um, and right now you're um, um, doing the afternoon show on BBC Radio Scotland, which I listened to for the first time today. And thanks very much for playing my request. Um, well, it was, it was the prepare. luck of the draw, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the afternoon show is my um, day job now uh, on BBC Radio Scotland. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's only two and a half hours long, but... The work that goes into it is, uh, is is unlike any bit of radio I've ever done before. I mean, I worked in commercial radio for nearly thirty years before I left, and um, yeah, very different, very different way of working. But I've, uh, I've I love doing what I'm doing now, and and I, and I love the fact that I've been given a a whole new challenge and a whole new set of skills that I've that I've been working on since I left fourth and in 2017 so it's about four years now since i left four three years since i started working permanently on the afternoon show so it's been um it's been great i, I, I love it I work hard on it i mean that's what I'll normally what i will be doing later on tonight is looking at my script for tomorrow my notes for tomorrow i've got a film to watch for tomorrow i've already watched two films already for the because we review three films on a on a thursday so there's films to watch there's books to get across or a documentary I interviewed a documentary maker and at bloomfield yesterday uh, for t- tomorrow's show that's pre-recorded thankfully but i had to watch that on monday so yeah there's, it's there's a great deal of prep which was wasn't so much the case when i worked at radio fourth when i worked on fourth it was a rock up turn up 10 minutes before you go on air talk pish for four hours and then go home you know um but uh and maybe so i'm doing myself a disservice but um yeah it's a it's a different ball game altogether what i'm doing now yeah, I like I like the concept. It's it's a I mean you've also got some music in there, but there's um a lot of chat involved and um, a couple of very distinguished guests were on today. Because obviously as we're recording this, this was St Patrick's Day, so there was a couple mm-hmm. of good themes in there, and I thought um it, it seemed to work real well, and you can tell um from listening to it, the amount of preparation that you do. And thanks for fitting me in amongst your preparation for taking a wee break. So um you got me so, in advance. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, is that and I mean, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's on average the way that we work and, and it has changed a lot covid has changed it a lot um the show a year ago is is different was was a different beast to what it is now we don't you know a big part of the show was having guests in the studio with you we would have live bands and doing sessions we would have conversations around the table about the films and now it's all done remotely and now you know janice is still doing the show from home and she does it on a monday and a tuesday um we do play more music now um the items are uh we get through maybe over two and it's now two and a half hours it used to be just two hours it's now two and a half hours long and over the course of a show we'll probably have about five items that i need to research for each show so that's like 10 a week for me um which can be an interview with an author uh, today is uh, Una Healy from the Saturdays. She's got her solo career out, so you know you listen to her music, you look back on her, and, and do do the research there. We had an author on, um, and uh, Danny Wallace. He's got a kids' book out, so you get across that. So you know it's it's all part of of the preparation of uh, of getting through each show. But yeah, we do play a lot of music in it as well, which I've always kind of pushed for because. You know that's why you know I think it's a big part of why people choose into radio is to, is to to listen to music and. Um, yeah, there's no reason why we, and you know, we've certainly never had a complaint from anyone uh, getting in touch saying, I think you're playing far too much music, Grant. So that's not <laughs> happened yet. 
Yeah, I, I like I like the variation today. I must say, as I say, I've only listened yeah. to the ones, so maybe it, I'll is, to it is one. varied. It, 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 we do have a, a lot, and we have some fantastic names. I mean, I've interviewed Tim Minchin, Joanna Lumley. I had um, the guys from Arab Strap. Aidan Moffat was on recently. Um, you know, it's, it's it's phenomenal when I look back at the guests that we get on and the access now. You know, especially in COVID, the access that we have to people because. You know, people are at home, and you can now get them on a Zoom chat, and you can now get them at the other end of, a, of an internet connection. So, people are are more available now than they've ever been. So, we've been particularly lucky when people have put books out. We've had access to some great guests, great names. Shaken Stevens was another one. Wow. I, I interviewed him, and I was really quite starstruck. It was my whole youth, my whole eighties. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So it's it's from that point of view, it's a it's it's a great show. I'm, I'm, you know so delighted that I'm, I'm working there just now um, and you've come full circle from the BBC because um, that's obviously where you started off BBC education I mean um, I, so it was um, yeah it was around about the same time I watched, commercial radio was where I started 1990 and within six or seven months of working there my mum it was my mum spotted an advert in the Scotsman for uh, a job was going at BBC Radio Scotland. They were looking for a presenter for a children's education programme. And so she cut it out and gave this little advert to me. This was, this was 1990, obviously. And at this point, I'd only just started at Radio 4th, and she said, uh, go and apply for that. And I'm like, oh, I've just started at 4th. What will they say? Well, you know, worry about it if you get the job. That's always been my philosophy. Um, so anyway, so I went for the audition and ultimately got the job. And that was my first in at the BBC. So that would have been 1990. Worked in the education department for, for a number of years. And through working in the radio there, the opportunity came to go and do something in front of a camera. And then that was my TV career uh, off and running as well. So, so, so yeah, I've got a lot to be thankful for the BBC. So, yeah, so it did kind of feel like I was going back. And, I, and I've, I'd kind of always known deep down that this is where I would end up at the sort of tail end of my career as well. It's, it's, a, it's a good journey and obviously cover children in need at that point as well and um, and some of its earlier days um, whenever they did the link into Scotland to what was that like doing, um, doing those Yeah, shows? that was my first experience of live television was doing children in need and it was again through doing education and it was then when children in need was a much bigger beast than it is now and you would go to Glasgow to the main show in Scotland which would have been you know Jackie Bird or Hazel Irvin and then they would throw to you know, we're going to Aberdeen now, we're going to Inverness, but I was in Edinburgh. So I would do the, the links from, from the BBC studios in Edinburgh. And it was a ph- phenomenal experience because, you know, you, you get given your script, you're told you've got two and a half minutes to do this link. Uh, and so you work out to the, the second how you're going to fill those two and a half minutes. And then when it came to doing it live, I'll never forget, it was my first live, I had my first live insert. And they says, right, got two and a half minutes to fill it i'd choreographed the whole thing so i start here i'm going to walk there i'm going to talk to him i'm going to talk to them i'm going to talk to them and then i'm going to introduce the vt as they've asked me to do and just before we got started they went sorry grant uh, there's a problem you've only got a minute so i went from two and a half minutes in my head to a minute so i basically just went from a to z right and just went straight to the end of where my, my planned link was and as i got there as i rushed through all the people I was going to talk to, walked past everything I was going to say, I then got in my ear, it's all right, Grant, you've got your minute and a half back. And I'm like, oh, I've got nothing to say now. I've, I've said it all. So they're, they're, and I'm now having to fill this, uh, this uh, I know and a half, I meant a minute and a half. I've yeah. got to fill this minute and a half. And, you know, it doesn't sound very long, but I can assure you, when you've got a camera looking at you and you've got nothing to say, a minute and a half on live television is an awful, 
long time. Believe yeah. me. But I learned my lesson. Always have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan D, just in case. That's um, definitely a good learning curve when you're doing live television, having um, those, and obviously it's putting good stuff for the future. Um, another um, thing that you were renowned for in the day, Weems Bay, 902101. Yeah. <laughs> How professional that was, was that compared to, um, obviously, the compatriots over in America? <laughs> <laughs> well, Beverly Hills 90210 was was massive at that time. This was 1992 when uh, when that came about, and uh, yeah, it just seemed let's have a Scottish version. And where's I remember the producer came and he goes, right, we need a where's the Scottish Beverly Hills? And we went off oh, Weems Bay, so Weems Bay 90201. We had to put an extra one on in case they decided to to sue us. Uh, so <laughs> Weems Bay 90201 was a kids TV program that we did. It replaced. The very famous Glenn Michaels Cavalcade. I love um, that show. <laughs> that was um, that was everyone grew up with that. Everyone loved that, yeah. that show. Casper the Ghost and Heaven. Um, so it was a bit of a uh, an honour to take over the the mantle from from Glenn Michael. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that was it, and and that was our start. And it was it it was like so many things in television. It starts with great promise. It starts with oh, this is the beginning of a fabulous career. And it basically got axed after 14 months. Nothing really to do with what we were doing. We had all sorts of problems uh, with, well, you know, not to put too fine a point. We had a, a sort of bit of a scandal in the show, and so much that Eric Cullen, who was wee Burnley from Rabsy Nesbit, was on the show at the time. His scandal, his tragic demise broke right in the middle of our show, and we never really recovered from that, I don't think. And um, and the show was pulled the, the following Easter, and, and ultimately, what happened to Eric was was really sad. It was a, it was a terrible injustice uh, how his life and career got taken away from him. But yeah, it's um, it was a, a a wonderful journey in a very short space of time. Yeah, definitely. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got there in the first place, because obviously, um, I mean, did you go, was it drama school that you had to go through to get to where you were at that point, or was it um, more unconventional? No, drama school was the plan. Drama school was the plan. All through high school, I was absolutely going to be an actor. There was only one profession for me, and that was an actor. I was a, a, an extrovert. I was a show-off. I was a pain in the arse. I was all these things at school. I did all the school plays, all the school shows. And asked my careers guy, my careers advisor, what do I need to get in a drama college? Uh, I says, because that's all I'm going to do. And four O grades and two hires was what I was given. So I went, right, that was my target. And by the end of fifth year, I'd achieved four O grades and two hires. I went, right, I don't need anything else now. I don't need to sit any more exams. Sixth year was a party. I didn't get any qualifications <laughs> or exams in sixth year. I just, I just played and had a party and, and organized school discos. And then left sixth year and then said, right, see you later, everyone. I'm going to drama college. Now, the one flaw in my plan was that I'd taken it for granted that, of course, all these drama colleges would be saying, Grant, come in, come in. Where would you like to sit? Uh, but they all knocked me back. Um, that was my first real reality check in this media business was when I got a knockback from drama, all the drama colleges, London, Glasgow, Queen Margaret here in Edinburgh, every single one of them knock me back and I'm like kind of what do you mean you knock me back because my time at school was so successful and but then of course I'm getting put into an audition room with other 
like you know equally enthusiastic and and better individuals than i was at that time so um so i didn't get in that was a bit of a shock so yeah uh, i then ended up joining the police my mum told me to get a proper job because i couldn't get into the drama college joined the police for four years didn't like it managed to get out and get that job at radio fourth and then that, that started my my media career with that, that change from the police to the radio so um yeah it's been a, it's been an interesting journey but um I wouldn't change anything. It's been it's been brilliant, and I've been very lucky because you know going from radio into television, then from children's television, you, you, I got an opportunity to do Panto in 1993, and that was through the Kings in Glasgow, and that was uh, Dick Whittington, and then you know that became a regular, that became a staple. And I kind of worked my way up the poster, if you like. You know, I was I was so far down. You know, my name was so far down the poster, people thought I was the printer, and I worked and worked and worked, and um, was was lucky enough one year to be in the same cast as Alan and Andy and then the rest as they say is history on that front so I've had a very varied career I've done loads of different things in radio and television and stage um but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed it yeah it's been uh, it's been it's been brilliant yeah, I, I wanted to touch on the panto just now. I was going to leave that for a bit later, but um, you know, you're known as the the panto villain. That's obviously your website address. Um, what yes. what makes you what's making you want to play that role more than anything? You no, know, because you think of most actors like, oh, I want to be this, I want to be the star, I want to be the the star goody, but you're going the complete opposite, saying I want to be the big villain. What drives you on for that? Longevity, I think, uh, is is the is this sort of what I love about it? Uh, because when I was starting out in Panto, the first couple of years I was doing Panto in, in Glasgow, you know, I was looking around, and as I say, at that time I was just a wee supporting member with no particular, you know, role to play in the cast other than just coming on, reading lines, and getting off again. And I was working with like Sir Gerard Kelly, who was the buttons and he was a brilliant buttons he was he's got funny bones the guy can make you laugh just by walking on i'm like that's not me i'm too tall too gangly and not funny enough and then there's the the dame and like the dame was always sort of an older guy and again a, a funny a comedian a guy who's earned his career at making people laugh and i was like that's not me as much as i think i can maybe you know muster a giggle or two i'm not i'm not a dame um and being the prince, being the, you know, it's too straight and you need a good singing voice and you need to be good looking and I'm not any of those things. <laughs> so the villain was the, was the, was the, the one that really appealed to me because I thought the villain is a great part because it's so important to the story, right? So it's a, an integral part in the show. You get this fantastic relationship with the audience. You get a great relationship with the cast. And that was, and I thought, and it was, it was Christmas 1995, two years of doing Panto went, the villain i must that's my goal that's my target to get the villain and it took me to 2003 so another eight years before i got offered a, the part of the villain and uh, i've never looked back i grabbed it with both hands with great gusto and uh, i've been fortunate enough to and because and when you ask me why why the villain over the years of doing the villain and nearly 20 years of doing it in edinburgh i've played men i've played women i've played uh, magicians i've played just evil people i've played you know and all these different elements to all the different villains gives you so much to get stuck into and and, and you know a few years ago when i finally got to to uh, to put a dress on and be the you know as the wicked queen in snow white oh just fantastic you know the, the wicked stepmother in cinderella one of the ugly sisters in cinderella um so b- being a, a a female 
uh, villain is is lovely. And again, it's just that I always, always, always try and do something different with the role every year. And as much as the audience notes me and, and Alan and uh, until recently, obviously, Andy, they knew what they were going to get with us. But I always try to do just something slightly different. And um, that's what I love about it. It's a challenge and, and uh, getting booed as soon as you walk on. Brilliant. Yeah, some of the names that you've had um, are certainly um, different. Uh, Flash Bobby, <laughs> um, Flesh Creep. Flash Bobby, he was one of my favourites. Yeah, Gobina McFlame. I, I came up with that name. I came up with Gobina. Um, Gobina McFlame. And our wee sister was called Huck Too. Uh, I'm Gabina McFlame, and this is Huck. Um, and uh, when it was Snow, uh, when it was Cinderella, I think I played Hibernia, and she's one of my Did favorite. Did you come Hibernia, up with that Hibernia hard up? That was I was gifted that I have to say Alan McHugh who wrote the script came up with Hibernia, so I'll have to give him credit for that. But I thought that's absolutely genius, Hibernia, and she was uh, she was fabulous. I loved her. She was great. What um what play was she in? Cinderella. She was a wicked stepmother, and uh, she was a bad bitch. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Fingers crossed, we get to do Cinderella again, and we get to to bring her back out and dust down the costume. But uh, no, it's 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 great. It's a massive part of my year. Missed it obviously at Christmas. Mm. It'll be different when we go back this Christmas for for so many different reasons. Um, but there's just a huge desire, a huge you know thirst and everybody wants to get back to the theater and and panto's a big miss for everybody and uh and for us as well you know we, we really missed it so yeah well one of the th- i mean christmas um going there was um different for all the wrong reasons unfortunately and mm-hmm. obviously panto is associated i spoke to colin about this you know we were there was a bit of worry at the time about the, the future for um, the theatre arts because of um, the money that was being lost. And there was not going to be any panel. I know there was, Nicholas Sturgeon did um, give a, a grant out eventually. Um, how much that will cover, we don't know. But, I mean, every in- industry is fine for themselves, to be fair. So it's um, difficult to end that conversation. But um, what do you think the future is going to hold this year? Are, are you confident that you, there will be panel this year? But as you say, more likely going to be restricted. Well, as we've learned already in the last year, you don't know what, a month away you don't know what's two weeks away this can change literally overnight something can happen a new variant could come in um and you know so we don't know but the way things have been going over these last few weeks the way things have have panned out with the vaccine with the fact the vaccine seems to be handling all the different variants that are coming in so far and there's just this sense that if this continues the the way that has done and with the details that Nicola Sturgeon gave out about June, July, getting down to level zero, then you have to think by June, then July, and then August and September, a good three months at level zero or whatever. And by that point, pretty much everybody will be vaccinated by September, October, you would like to think. So by Christmas, Christmas should be the time when we can, I would like to think that's probably the point where we can all breathe a sigh of relief and, and and do and pretty much be back to normal that's your christmas day that's your panto your christmas days at your visits to the shops and, and all that kind of thing whereas we'll have to be we'll call canny i think um up until that point but yeah I, w- I will be absolutely devastated if we if we miss another christmas yeah exactly i mean i mean it wasn't just the pants obviously people didn't see family yeah, it was it was just you awful. can kind of get through that because you know it's a one-off, and that's kind of what you you chose. It's one day, it's one year. We'll get through, and then we can look yeah. forward to next year. Um, but yeah, as long as um, 
um, we get to we get the handle of this and and, and come out the other end and uh, and we'll appreciate it. You know, we're going to appreciate all these things. We're going to appreciate going to football. We're going to appreciate mm-hmm. just going to the pub. You know, you think all the times you just stayed in on a Friday night. You know. I got a memory of up on my phone the other night about it came up it was four years ago. I went down to my mate. He lives in Haddington, right? Haddington. It's not particularly jet set, but it's a lovely wee town. And five of us met there. Went out for a few bevies. Went to a fabulous Chinese restaurant there. And for every year after that, oh, I must go back down. Let's go back down to Willie's and go to the Chinese, brilliant Chinese down in Haddington. And we just never did that because it was just like, what I would give right now to get in my car and go and drive down in Harrington, dump the car, stay overnight at my pals, go for a Chinese, a few pints. Ah, you know, unbelievable. It's just little things. um, Me and my wife were actually talking about how, you know, this time last year or a year and a half ago, we were saying how we don't have a free weekend. And now it's like, well, we don't have anything now, so we'd rather have that to, to play back. And uh, yeah, I'm, and, I'm not even worried about a holiday this year. You know, it's like yeah. people saying, "Oh, how, when can I, I don't want to travel? I don't want to travel." And it's nothing to do with necessarily, you know, what we're going through. It's just how yeah. it's going to be. I mean, getting on a plane is a nightmare. The best of times, you know, getting all the hassle of getting through an airport and getting on the, the plane and getting off the plane and getting a bus and getting through the airport. You know, imagine how difficult or tricky it's going to be for the first few months after this. So nah. Keep me away from it. I'll have I'll take two weeks holiday, and as long as the pubs and restaurants in Edinburgh are open or Harrington, I will happily spend two weeks catching up with my pals, going to the pub, having them over to my house, going over to theirs. That for me would be a brilliant holiday. Two Holid- weeks with, with, with your mates. Holiday at Harrington, fantastic. I'll take it. <laughs> Get me booked in. Book it now. I'm in. You better believe it. Exactly. I mean, the, the the weird thing is as well. I mean, we're we're obviously talking about um, the the Euros coming up. I mean, will there be some sort of crowd back there and, and stuff? And no, I'm certainly hoping so because I'm I go to the Scotland games a lot. But yeah. even just to you know, um, you know, we we can give up the f- um ten thousand Scotland fans going down to Wembley and stuff like that. That's not happening this year. But see, even if I could just have someone else in my house to watch that game with me, that'd be great because you know it was weird when we qualified first in twenty years and everyone's in the house. Yeah, I know. It's it's like I, I, my whole point to me, and we might touch on this. Football for me has been uh, my dad, and uh, I didn't go any football for like over twenty years. I, I didn't. I wasn't interested in football. I was interested in my music. I was interested in my drama and all that kind of stuff. Didn't bother with football. And then around about nineteen ninety, when I started working at Radio Fourth, uh, my dad was going to match. He was going to match on his own. And by this point, I'd moved out of the house. I was living in a flat. And I thought, here's a chance for me to spend four hours with my dad on a Saturday afternoon every week. I'll chum you at the football, dad. I'll just go with you. And that was my end for football. So that has been, you know, since 1990, my pattern of going to the football. And then, because of lockdown, um, he's up at his house watching it on his computer. I'm at my house watching on the telly. And I can't watch it with him because we're not allowed. And so I'm missing out on on that, you know, just watching football matches on your own. And as you say, you know, Scotland qualifying, you're jumping up and down. You're on your, I did it on Zoom. I had my pals on Zoom on my, my iPad with me. So we kind of felt we were together, but we weren't really. And that was a great moment when, you know, when we finally qualified. Um, but it's just not the same watching the football without my dad. It's just not the same. And, and again, something you just took for granted. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think. I hopefully, it won't, yeah, hopefully it won't be um, when 
crowds are allowed back that people won't take it for granted. More people, look, you will, you'll have more full stadiums than, than you used to beforehand, let's hope. So yeah. that would be a lovely dream. Especially at the beginning, especially at the outset, folk will be just, let's get out and do stuff. Do you want to go to the football? Yeah. Do you want to go for a pint? Yeah. The most simple and basic things. Um, yeah, can't wait. Cannot wait. It'd be amazing. So you've started the, the, the talk about football. Um, mm. It's interesting you mentioned you had no interest in football until around about 1990, because one of my f- thought, first questions was going to be, what do you remember about the um, Wallace Mercer takeover of Hibs? Because uh, I, I prejudged your age, but obviously you didn't get into football until around about that time. But, so it was simply your dad that lured you to Easter Road, essentially. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, football was was a big part of my growing up. It was in the house, my, my dad, massive Hibs fan, all his life, my brother was was a massive football fan. Yeah. Maybe that's why, because I, I rebelled against my brother, as as you often do when you're wee. Um, I was a Scotland fan, and I, I loved the Scotland games. And I remember watching Argentina '78, and I, and that's why I enjoyed that play of the game as well, because yeah. I was I really enjoyed all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, as as and what I remember about that particular part in Hibs history is that we were on our knees and we were heading for you know oblivion and my dad at the time i started working on radio and i was doing overnights right i was working one in the morning till six in the morning and i when i got that job my dad was in hospital uh, at the pmr here in edinburgh he'd got um his knees replaced and at the time he was only 40 but he'd, he'd had problems with his knees since he was in the army in his 20s so he always knew he was going to get this operation and he was booked in this operation and while he's in hospital Wallace Mercer launches this takeover bid. And I had just started a Radio 4th at the time, and I remember going in to the studios, and this is clearly massive news, and uh, David Johnston, who was our head of news at the time, was doing this massive live football, or this phone-in, about the implications of what Wallace Mercer was trying to do, and blah, 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 and Hibbs, um, their, their previous administration had you know caused all sorts of problems. But anyway, so it was like, you know, massive news huge news and uh, it was there was a sense of disbelief it was like you know my dad who was in hospital he was like he couldn't get out of his hospital bed because his legs were you know knackered he was waiting for his knees to to start to heal so it was a really frustrating time so he was glued to the radio at this point glued to the radio to get any updates about uh, what was going on then eventually did get out the first thing that he wanted to do when my mum picked him up from the hospital to take him home don't take me home just take me back take me down easter road I need to have a look and just check that it's still there. Because he'd gone through all the emotions while he was stuck in his hospital bed. He thought he would never get to Easter Road again. He thought Hibs were gone and done, done and dusty. So my mum drove him all the way down Easter Road, parked up outside the stadium. He had a look and went, right, you can take me home now. Um, so it was it was massive, huge. And then, of course, I remember the hands-off Hibs stuff that was going on. And uh, I do remember taking my dad and going to the <coughs> to the Usher Hall to the rally. And I remember there was a big controversy because John Robertson got up and spoke. You know, he was big hearts star at that time. And he got up and spoke and said how he was against this particular takeover. And then, of course, it all panned out the way it was. But, yeah, really in dramatic times. And that was at that point I started going to the games. And uh, not long after that, we win the, the League Cup, the Skull Cup uh, at Hamden. It's a great end to that great. Within a year of me supporting Hibs, we've won a cup. And my dad says, ah, it's not like that every year, son. Didn't you get too carried away with yourself? Um, so um, so that was it. You know, your first year of going to support uh, support your team and, um, you know, you're, you're at Hamden and you win a cup final. So so there was, it was only ever going to end one way and that was me stuck at Easter Road every week. 
It's not a bad thing to be. Um, wasn't a bad. You know, it wasn't bad. Definitely. So it was not. a good start, and and that was it. And uh, right the way through the nineties and in the two thousands, and I, I ended up working at Easter Road as well. That was it, uh, because Radio Fourth had a. Uh, they took out a table, the corporate hospitality for clients, to entertain clients. Uh, and sometimes if there was a couple of empty seats or something on the Friday afternoon, I would get a call from Mike Scott, who was a commercial manager, and say, right, Grant, he says, I've got two spare seats at the, the Hibs corporate tomorrow. Do you want to come? So bring your dad. So I mean, my dad would go, and, and this became a regular thing whenever there was seats available. And then one day, uh, I was, I was a girl called Amanda who'd just taken over the market in the commercial side of of Hibs, which involved the hospitality. She gets up onto the microphone and she goes, Hello everyone, welcome to Easter Road, welcome to the Right, and she was doing she was having to do the MC and she came over, she goes, Is this Radio Fourth table? And we're like, Yes, she goes, Do you guys know anyone that would be comfortable getting up and speaking in the microphone every match day? And I'm like and yes, yes, I think I think I could maybe uh, manage that particular task. So that was my in, and I started hosting the the corporate hospitality in the lounge, and that was that was great because again I'd done nothing like that, so it was a bit of a, a baptism of fire. You know, you're going into a room of two, three hundred football fans and getting on a microphone, and you know, again I wasn't a comedian. I'm not, you know, I'm not a stand-up comic or anything. So I remember my few first few games must have been terrible. You know, again I'm trying to crack jokes and oh dear. But anyway. I managed to ride that particular storm and, you know, you start interviewing the players and then come back. And I was there for years, nearly 20 years, I think. That must have been great being able to interview some of the, the stars of the past. Oh, um, yeah. Any in particular that um, stood out for you in terms of... Oh, yeah. I mean, so, some footballers are better on a microphone than others, let's just say. Uh, I remember Scott Brown played was when he was playing for Hibs before he made his move to Celtic and... Uh, yeah, I tried to try and every time I interviewed Scott Brown for a man of the match, I always had to say, Scott, this is the hospitality lounge. There are children here. Please mind your language. And he would be like, ah, you fucking cunt. <laughs> anyway, you know, and it, was, it, would just, it would just naturally come out. Um, so he was always entertaining. But the biggest, the best thrill for me, uh, and it wasn't necessarily for, for me, but it was because of my dad. And there was the, the there was other... Uh, there was legends in the in the lounge. Pat Stanton, Laurie Riley, and Joe Baker. And Joe Baker was my dad's all-time favourite Hibs player. And they were there to just sit and host tables at the hospitality then. And so, of course, I got to know these guys. My dad gets to know these guys. And ultimately, my dad's hero, Joe Baker, is sitting having a conversation with my dad. And my dad's just going... Like completely starstruck, just you know, fan fanboying over Joe Baker, uh, and so to me that was the best thing and the best gift I could. It was almost like you know, normally you have this idea of ah, fathers lift their wee boys over the turnstile. Well, I was lifting my dad over the turnstile, and not only letting him watch his heroes, but letting him become friends with his heroes and legends of the club. And uh, that for me, above ever anything else that I've done at Hibs. That that's my that's the one thing that gives me the most pride that I was able to give that to my dad. Now that's fantastic, you know. Um, that is a great. So I mean, um, in a modern day similar thing, you know, I, I remember thirty years ago watching Ian Jess um, 
terrorised teams in the Premier League, and then I'm interviewing yeah. him for his fiftieth. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> and that made me feel, and I'm, I've just turned forty, so um, <laughs> it's incredible to think how life goes full circle like that. But uh, yeah. you know, you've seen some interesting teams. I mean, one in particular um, I'm going to highlight just now: the team that came up after relegation because somehow he's managed to attract Russell Latipe and Frank Sose to the club, and he's came back and he's. He's done really well. He's a Scottish Cup final, um, finished third in the league, and uh, no Sose in particular, um, and, and Latipe, just two completely different characters. And you know, when I was speaking to John Hughes, he can't talk Russell up enough. You know, he's just a different yeah. um, character in himself. It was an unbelievable time, and again, I don't know. I think it was Alex McLeish's contacts. I don't know what it was. I don't know how it happened, but that team that he put together to get us out of the the championship. Division One, whatever it was at that time, yeah. and in the Premier League, and to keep them together and have that season that we had after it, you know, which phew, unbelievable. I mean, you know, I remember watching this team come together. Like Frank Sozzi, he's playing for Hibs, yeah, and it's like you're thinking, ah, he's going to be washed up, he's going to be done. Well, you know, why on earth? And oh no, he was far from washed up. He was far from done. He's still had the magic, the grace, the class, and could command the game from, you know, his, maybe his, his best midfield days were behind him, but he he was just sat behind them and in front of the defence. And uh, he was it was just incredible to watch. And then, as you mentioned, you know, the wee powerhouse that was Russell Latipe, having him playing. But we also had, you know, you think of John O'Neill, who's one of my favourite Hibs players. And, you know, when you think of all the players that he was playing alongside, you know, he doesn't perhaps get the attention that, that yeah. uh, the likes of Sozzi and, and uh, Latipe got at that point. But for me, John O'Neill was a great player. He was a wee, he was a wee magician, like Latipe as well. And, you know, Lovell was in that team, who else to have uh, Ulrich Larson was, was there or thereabouts as well. And we just, I mean, Yogi Hughes, you know, it was just a mixed with Pat Alina. You know, it's like the, the, that year of players that we had was, was for Dirk Lehman. You know, just, just bonkers. Kenny Miller was playing for It was like incredible, you know, the players that we had at that point. And yeah, we got to the cup final. I remember going through to that and it was, it was one of the games that, you know, was never tipped in our favour and it was never, it was, you know, it was going to have to take something incredible for us to beat Celtic. Um, and obviously we, we didn't, but through that whole era, uh, the, the 6-2 game for me, uh, when we beat Hearts 6-2 was, was just phenomenal. Um, you know, I remember what, it was a Sunday night. And again, I'm walking east of the road with my dad. And uh, it was a six o'clock kickoff or seven o'clock kickoff or something. And I'm going, oh, God, Dad, it's a Derby. Derby's just, just, my guts are inside out. I've got butterflies and all that. What's this going to be? I says, I tell you what, I says, I would take a 1-1 right now. I'd take a 1-1 right now. And, um, of course, Hearts scores first. I think it was, was I don't know if it was Stevie Fulton or whoever it was. was Andy Kirk scored. Andy Andy Kirk scored first. And so Hart score first. I'm like, oh, here we go. And like, I remember putting my head in my hands and I just looked up and where our seats were positioned were kind of midway between the goal and the halfway line. And directly in my eyesight, in my eye line, was Russell Latipe. And he he was looking around him and it was almost as if he was going, sorry, boys, it's okay. This is all part of the plan. Remain calm. It's going to be fine. And I just and I just got a wee inner confidence from him because normally when you know Hibs and Hearts are playing and Hearts score, the heads go down. Not just the fans, but you often felt the players did as well. So oh, here we go again. 
but not this time and not this not that night and Russell had to be almost like you felt like I've seen the video I know how this ends up right and this is going to be great and of course right enough you know we got a couple of goals before half time for Mexu and uh, the rest as they say is history and it was just a, a phenomenal night and Latapi scored a, a great goal mm. uh, that night and, I, and, I, and it was Colin Cameron I think scored the second Hearts goal and we were 6-1 up at that point and then Hearts got the second goal. And I'll never forget, there was this guy, woo, one of the Hibs fans as well. <laughs> I think it's the only the first time Hibs fans have ever applauded or you know, enjoyed Hearts scoring a goal at Easter Road. Um, yeah, phenomenal. But again, that was that era, that wonderful, incredible era uh, when McLeish put that those those teams together and got us out of relegation, got us out of the, the, the lower league and into the, the Premier League. It was, and again... You just kind of go with it, don't you? You don't kind of stop and go, this is magic. Let's really just sort of stop and savour this. You kind of go for it. And, and then, you know, obviously these players don't stay too long. They all, all move on and whatever. But, uh, oh, the memories that they gave us are absolutely, absolutely love you forever. Yeah, and I've got to talk about the golden generation. Uh, Riordan, O'Connor, um, mm-hmm. you know, Gary Cobble, he was in the team. David Murphy, a good left back. Um, David Murphy yeah. is another one of my standout all-time favourite players david murphy for me was just a player who you know no matter what was going on in the game you'd be watching the game and then the ball would go to murphy and then you go oh that's okay that's all right murphy's got the ball he's 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 he's, he's not going to lose it first and foremost right he's not going to give it away but what he's going to do with it is he's going to place it at another hibs player's feet uh, watch this and he was just cool he had this sort of stance where he kind of stood back and he sort of dropped his hands a wee bit, looked for where he was going to get and he would just ping the ball. And he was a good-looking bastard, David Murphy, as well. And uh, honestly, he, he, for me, was him, John O'Neill, Ken McAllister. Uh, these these are, these are my kind of under-the-radar, my favourite players. I mean, they, you know, they don't get the plaudits. I think they're the higher-profile players do, but, but Murphy's definitely up there as one of my favourite all-time players for Hibs. But yeah, it was it was a great era of that as well. Tony Mowbray and um, and again, I was working quite closely with the club at that point, and um, we, you know, I was doing the lounge, so I got to know all the players doing the Player of the Year dinner at the Hibs Supporters Club, and and also for for Hibs as well. And then and then I produced a DVD, I, my one and only time of of producing and directing a, a, a film, if you call it, want to call it, but I, did, I filmed the season. I did a, a documentary about. Uh, that season was Tony Mowbray's first season at Hibs and so the documentary starts with Tony Mowbray getting the job and then because I remember that you know it was it was one of those moments in Scottish football where nobody second guessed at Hibs at that point it was like trying to get information from behind the iron curtain nothing got out there was never any leaks there was never any bits of gossip or tittle tattle you never guess you were going to sing it was always last minute it was always a secret and I was on the radio and Craig Patterson was our sports reporter uh, at fourth at the time. And he was at the press conference. And the press conference was at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'm on air at that point. And we then get a message through from Craig, filtered down while the news is going on at 11 o'clock. And it's like, who's new manager? It's Tony Mowbray. And I'm going, Tony Mowbray? And so the news finishes, and I went, and just because the last thing that they'd said, and we're waiting to hear confirmation of the new Hibs manager from Easter Road, and I faded up the mic, and I went, I've actually got confirmation that the new manager of Hibs is Tony Mowbray. And I remember going, 
wow, what is, I didn't know, because obviously I knew he'd played for Celtic, but I'm like, right, right, this is really out the, you know, out the norm. And funnily enough, I think it was my wife, Claire, was uh, in a card shop in Morningside at that moment. And there was two guys behind the counter. And Claire told me the story. She goes, uh, one of them goes, have you heard who the new house manager's going to be? And the other guy goes, no. He says, it's Tony Mowbray. And the guy goes, no, 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 it can't be him. And he goes, it is, because Grant Stotts just said it on the radio. So Claire was in the shop at the time that I'd said this, and these two are having this discussion, unbeknown to them, of course, that my wife was in there eavesdropping on their conversation. So it was a wee moment in time. So anyway, I digress. I'm off on a tangent again. <laughs> but yeah, I made, so I made the documentary, uh, and it uh, started with Tony's arrival and his announcement at the press conference, and then how we went through the whole season. And I interviewed Scott Brown, Derek Rand, and Gary O'Connor, Steve Whitaker, um, all these guys, young, young guys. And I remember the, the question was, where were you when you heard that Tony Mowbray was the new manager of Hibs? What were you doing? And um, uh, yeah, so we got all that feedback and put the DVD together and and uh, sold at the club shop and everything. So, so yeah, so I worked quite closely at the club at that point. And so I was, I had quite a bit of access into the, into the workings of, of the, the, the club and the team at that time. And it was, uh, it was, it was a great period to be there. And I was on the pitch when we finally won uh, our place in Europe. Expensive bad and goal difference, yeah. Remember that it last goal difference. We were waiting because we had that really. Was was that the really odd random game with Rangers where yes. nobody wanted to score? Ah, useless one. No, we was. only won two now because Craig Gordon was just almost unbeatable that day. <laughs> I was at that game, episode. And and it was a nuts game because we thought, right, if we just leave it now, Rangers will. They'd won the league or or whatever it was that they'd got, but we like if we just keep it this, we're getting in Europe. So then. I then, uh, after the game, I'm on the pitch because I've got the camera crew with me and walking around and filming the players on the pitch with the, the hats on, the scarf and all that and all the fans celebrating. And unbeknown to us, if you watch that film now, our cameraman uh, ran along behind the goals at Easter Road and all the Hibs fans were like, why, at that game. And it's since been lifted. I didn't know it at the time, obviously, but it's since been lifted. And there's a clip of a certain Lee Griffiths who must have been about 12 at that point and uh, you just see Lee going ah! <laughs> and he saw the clip we got a really good close up of him um, so maybe that was uh, Lee Griffiths uh, Hibs TV DVD debut I don't know but um, yeah that was a great experience man. And, and a great and a great season remarkable from where we were to where we ended up it was fantastic yeah, it was obviously um, a lot of those players ended up moving on. But whilst they were all together at Hibs for those couple of seasons, do you think Hibs um, should have done more? And what I mean by that is the semi-final against Dundee United in the yeah. Scottish Cup was an absolute throwaway. You dominated that game. You only took the lethal debt riding penalty and then you just absolutely blew it. And I think at that point, over those couple of seasons, there's obviously the Hearts game the following season as well, sorry. Um, but I think that team could have achieved more before they started breaking up. Yeah, but there's also these. A lot of these players had come through, and a lot of these, you know, a lot. You know, it was a, it was a very inexperienced side at that point, and you know, playing at that level where you needed to have a certain mentality, and that's why these players are probably better players now because they've had these experiences yeah. with Hibs at Hamden, and they've gone on to say, right, that's not going to happen again. Scott Brown, Stephen Whitaker, and all that. And they've used that experience to become better players. But at the time, they were, I mean, they were so young, you know, and, and you know, you think how many of them had come through the academy and, and how, you know, they were just boys, you know what I mean? It's, you know, it's a remarkable thing. Scott Brown's still playing now. And, uh, 
you know, he was there in the early two sort of two thousands when the um uh, when 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 this team was getting put together. Just just boys, you know, just kids. Um so yeah, and it, yeah, we, we've had oh god, but hasn't every team, you know, had yeah. a glorious opportunity. You know, there we were again, you know, just just you know, before Christmas with a, a semi final against uh, Hearts, and then we had another semi final against St Johnston and, and you know, we never turned up uh, on those two games either and, and you know probably the most disappointing game was was against St Johnston um, because yeah. they absolutely battered us they had us you know had the measure of us from, from the first kick off to the, to the final whistle did Colin so, rub it into you? okay I got a couple of pictures he sent me a couple of photographs a couple of tweets and all that but yeah, yeah <laughs> he's, um, he's he's not the worst let's just say yeah, at yeah. Uh, getting it right up you when when the teams <laughs> when your team goes down against the uh, opposition, but um, okay, but I mean that was uh, yeah. So so it happens, you know, it happens in every team and every, you know, I mean, look at Rangers this season, you know, they've absolutely flying, but they're you know they get they get a scene to St. Mirren, and you know we love that, but you know there's there's no excuse for that. There's no there's no rhyme or reason, you know, especially Rangers wanting to win silverware this season. Should have taken it and put that game to bed, but is it because you know just an off day or so? I, you know, yeah, there are, there are times in every team that things go wrong, and Hibs have had a few. Yes, well, you know why they have the term, you have the term Hibs it, but you didn't Hibs it in 2016. <laughs> um, no. 114 years. I mean, you've obviously. I mean, when you go through the pain of certain cup finals, we also mentioned the Celtic when that was a hard one. The Hearts one mm. in particular is a hard, um, a difficult one to go mm. over. And then all that's washed away when David Gray sails through the air and um, heads home from Liam Henderson's corner. Um, just describe the scenes that happened in that day. And were you on the pitch? No, wasn't on the pitch. <laughs> Standing beside my dad, uh, watching him take it in. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Everything that had gone before I completely went out the window. And, you know, I would never say it was worth not winning a cup for 114 years, but because we hadn't won for 114 years. I don't think they'll ever, you know, I don't think any football fan alive, other than the Hibs fans that were there that day or around the world watching it, will ever know what that feeling is like. And even, even, you know, there was St. Johnston won the League Cup for the first time, you know, so many years after winning the Scottish Cup for the first time. But it's, it's, you know, I still don't think it's, it meant as much as it did for the Hibs fans because it was such, it was, it was the, the Holy Grail. It was the, it was the one thing that people had lived and died. And never seen it. My granddad lived and died and never saw Hibs win the Scottish Cup. My dad, by this point, was 76. He basically thought, I'm never going to see Hibs win the Scottish Cup. And we got to the final uh, that particular year. And and what I do remember about that year, and, and I was hosting the hospitality, we, we took out uh, one of the big suites at Parkhead, but took about 500 Hibs fans through there, and I hosted the pre-match hospitality. We had Pat Statton there, we had uh, Alec Cropley was there, uh, Stuart Lovell was there, and so I was MC and interviewing everybody and going along. And I remember speaking to, to Stuart Lovell before the game and going, you know, you think of all the other Scottish Cup finals, and when we talk about it with Celtic, we never had a chance of winning that one, you know, because Celtic were, you know, so far ahead of us. You know, it was never, it was never, we were never on an even playing field. Terrible winning Celtic team with Arsenal. Probably. Yeah, you know, they were massive. You know, they were runaway favourites and, and rightly mm-hmm. won it that year. Hearts, uh, the year we played, we were we were shattered as a team. We were, you know, we had injuries ravaged right through us, and they had, for however 
many different complicated reasons amassed a set of players, expensive players, um, and let's just say perhaps, perhaps spent out with their means at that point and I think you know history proves that perhaps they did and so you know it was it wasn't a level level playing field from that point so we were really going to always always have to play above our game that day in 2016 we'd already beaten Rangers that season comfortably so we knew we were capable of winning that game and I said all all we needed to do we didn't need luck we didn't need um to to raise our game all we needed to do was play Rangers at their game as we have done in the past and just just do what we've done before, and and, and that was beat them, and we and that's what we did. You know, we we played them and we beat them okay in dramatic fashion. And I always did say I did believe Hibs would win the Scottish Cup in my lifetime, and I did, and I always said it, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be dramatic. It's going to be, you know, and, and you know, sort of stuff of movies. And and it was, you know, you watch that whole road to getting there. You know, the Hearts. 2-0 down at half time. We come back to draw 2-2 Tynecastle. We win 1-0 at Easter Road in the replay. You know, we, we got a penalty shootout with Conrad Logan uh, against Dundee United. You know, this bizarre random experience of this guy that nobody knew or heard of walks on the pitch at Hamden. We're all going, who's that? When's he? He's not played for two and a half years or whatever it was. Has the game of his life. It's Roy the Rovers. We're through at the final. We've got Rangers. Rangers get Celtic in the other semi-final. They're desperate to beat Celtic. They've not played Celtic for years. They've not beat Celtic for years. They beat them. You know, and I think I think that they couldn't raise their game again. They couldn't raise their game to the, the level that they did. You know, I think beating Celtic in the semi-final was perhaps more important than beating Hibs in the final, I think, yeah. men- mentally. And I think it just it kind of the stars aligned for us that year. And... Uh, and it was the most magnificent day of my life, uh, outside of my obviously children and yes. wedding and all that. Uh, and like it's that a day that, you know, if we win it again, and and I think we could, we could win it again. You know, we were so close. You know, we got the semi final there with, with Hearts, and I think we could have given Celtic a game had we got to the final. Um, but I think we could win it again in my lifetime. Uh, but will it be as good as 21st of May 2016? I don't think so. Probably not. I mean, um, my first Scottish Cup memory um, was winning it in 1990. I was nine years old. Um, I thought, this will come again. Still waiting, 31 yeah. years later. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was like me with my Scottish, Scottish Cup, the same, my League Cup and Skull Cup, you know, in 91 when, when, when I went. I'm like, oh, this is great. My first year falling. Hibs. We win a cup. Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, but football doesn't uh, often pan out that way. But. Um, well, you've got oh, that nice good. little Scottish Cup replica um, that you were showing just yeah. for people who weren't. Um, is, this is a audio only podcast, so better. Um, oh, Steve, sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> I might, I could put it on YouTube actually, because um, we are starting to. If you don't mind, I, I might put it on there. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, also in your football um, lifetime, you managed to present football um, for mm. two years. One of the last presenters of the flagship programme, Scott Sport, which ran for 50 years, you and Andrew Walker, so through the last couple of years. Um, just how was that experience being able to pre- present a programme like that and following the footsteps of like, so Jim Dale and Jim White, etc.? Well, it was a great honour, right, first and foremost, to be associated with that uh, programme. The, the Guinness Book of Records had it in as the longest-running sports programme in, in, in the world at that point. 50 years we got to, and... Um, you know, again, because if you think, you know, I didn't follow football, I didn't play football as a kid, I didn't play football in any capacity when I was growing up, only started watching football in 1990. So it was a great, fa- it was it was a source of great humour in my house and in my family when they went, you're going to present Scottsport. What do you know about football? 
But part of the reason I think I got the job was Jim Delahunt had left to go to Satanta yes. and kind of left them, uh, not high and dry, but yeah, they, they, they had to quickly find a, a remedy for this situation. So I phoned Henry Eagles, who was the exec producer at STV for Scotsport, and um, I'd hummed and hawed about it for the reason I just said. It's like, you know, could I do this? Could I do this? Anyway, so I phoned him up and um, I said, Henry, it's Grant Stott here. I went, oh, hello. He says, um, I'm just wondering, he says, uh, if you've found a presenter for uh, Scott Sport, or is it too late for me to throw my hat into the ring? He says, we're making a decision this week. Uh, you've timed it just right. Can you come through to Glasgow tomorrow? So I went through to Glasgow to PQ to STV and met Henry and uh, Andrea, who was the producer as well. And I said, look, I'm going to put my cards on the table. I'm going to be brutally honest here. Uh, my technical knowledge and my tactical knowledge of the game is zero. Never kicked a ball in anger. I don't know anything about how you structure a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-1 or, or whatever it is or how the offside rule particularly works. I says, but I can talk about a game because I'm a fan. I says, and, I've, and I, at that point I've been interviewing players every week at, at Hibs. Pre-match, post-match. So you begin to get a bit of an understanding. I watched, and because I was interviewing players, I would watch the game differently. I would always look for a talking point. I would have a wee opinion about, well, what was that point there? Why, why did you get a foul there? Why didn't you know? So I kind of had a, a different um, habit of watching matches by that point. So at, they then said, uh, well, look, we've got Andy Walker, who is a pundit on the show, but he fancies presenting, but he's got no presenting experience. I says, well, I've got plenty presenting experience, but very little tactical football knowledge. I says, well, Andy's got all the tactical football knowledge. Let's bring the two of you together. So the following week, I was back through again, and we did a, a pilot with just me and Andy. Sort of an addition, really, I guess. So I, I met Andy for the first time. We're straight into the studio. They put in a dummy guest. We show some clips of a match, and we just chat about what we've seen, what we've watched, did a few links. And then I went, right, we like this. Let's go. And that's that's how it came about. And to this day, it's one of my biggest regrets is that STV gave up the rights in the way that they did because the BBC came back in having not had the TV rights for, for a number of years. They came in quite heavy, got the TV rights off uh, the SPFL and got exclusive rights at that point. So STV were, were out the window. They had no money. They didn't have the money to to you know spend big. So that was that. It was the end of Scotsport, the end of 50 years, and the end of, of Andy and I's partnership. And that's what I regret because I just felt, you know, we kind of came in midway through the first season after Jim left. So we got about, say, about six months and then came back and we did the, f the full second season. And by that time, we were beginning to really get to know each other and, and work with each other. And Andy's, I, I like Andy a lot. That was, the, that was for me, that was the most positive thing of, of doing Scott Sport. I've, I've got a genuine friend in Andy Walker, and he's a he's a lovely guy. He's got a brilliant, dry sense of humour. And uh, he's very sharp. And, and he's got, you know, and at the end of the day, and, and he bought into it because at the end of the day, we're putting a TV show together, right? TV has got to be entertaining, and it's got to provoke thought and, and discussion and debate. So Andy knew what his role was, and... He would sit there, we would sit there in the afternoon uh, looking at the football highlights and he goes, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say this. And he would work out quite a controversial statement about a manager or about a player or something like that. And he was going to direct it at one of our pundits because he knew 
that that would upset the fans or get the fans going ah or, or something like that. So he knows what he's doing, you know. And, and Andy is a controversial figure in, in football, but he he knows the game, right? Andy's been there, done it, bought you know, got the T-shirt, bought the album, the whole lot. So he knows what he's talking about inside and out. Uh, but he also gets the TV business side of it as well. And there was a couple of experiences with certain individuals that came on the show and they didn't get it, it was TV. And they sometimes thought, you know, if I was maybe having a, a wee pop, if it, was, if it was a Hearts pundit or something like that, they would get quite upset about it. Or And it's like, I'm not meaning to upset you. I'm not meaning to wind anybody up. It's just about the football. It's just about let's make this a really entertaining on-screen discussion. And some people got it, others didn't. Andy definitely did, and Andy still does. And um, and that's why I loved working with him. And I learned a lot from him about the game. I learned a lot about football. And so it was uh, it was terrific. I only wish it lasted longer. Yeah, it was just a shame because at that point, um, well, Satana before they went bust um, had pretty yeah. much all the highlights. BBC, I think, were starting to show them online, and this was before Scott Sport was then showing on the Sunday night or the Monday, whenever it was. And by that the night, Monday night, about eleven o'clock or something, we go on yeah, after the news. Yeah, but that's how the games have already been shown, and I think that probably yeah. helped kill Scott Sport. To be fair. And then, as you it said, STV at that point went at the financial meltdown for a couple of years, yeah. like Taggart get cancelled eventually and stuff like that. It was yeah. um, a dark period for the yeah, station, it was, unfortunately. It was, it was, and it's you know, it's, uh, you know, I worked at STV in 1993 when I first. Wings Bay, and that's when they were at Cow Cardens. And I remember uh, it was like amazing. You know, I remember walking through Cow Cardens and you'd walk past somebody that was in Taggart, and then they were filming High Road. They'd, they'd film High Road in our studio, and uh, the main studio one in Glasgow. So when we did Wings Bay, they would put some of the set for High Road away and build our set. So we were on one side of the studio, and then High Road was on the other. Um, so you know you'd be sitting in the in Isabel's shop, you know between scenes or, or between bits of businesses that you were doing. So there was that was going on. Funhouse was getting filmed there. You know Disney Club oh, was going Funhouse. on in Edinburgh, and um, you know there was stuff going on all the time, and it was a buzz. You know, and it was you know walking about the corridors in Cadens for STV was was so exciting. I'm just so glad that I was there compared to to sadly what it is now. And, um, it's a, a much smaller operation. It's all open plan offices, a couple of wee tiny studios and. Um, yeah, it's a it's a different it's a different world entirely. Same with the BBC, of course. Yeah, of course, it's um, it's definitely a different world that we're in. Um, but mm-hmm. you're obviously doing well with yourself at the BBC. Um, <laughs> just before I go into the um, the quick fire questions, as we call them slow fire, because it takes a while to get through them. Um, Grant Campbell um, asked this question. Um, he wants you to dish out some good Tam Cowan stories. Get one back on your old pal. Well, Tam, Tam's a a, a top bloke and. I've worked with Tam and known Tam since the mid nineties. Since I was doing, I was doing fully booked uh, for the BBC, which was this sort of big kids Saturday Sunday uh, program that filled in for Live and Kicking. Um, oh yeah. And and because I was in the BBC and they knew I was a Hibs fan, Stuart Cosgrove went off and then says, "Grant, do you want to come and cover off the ball?" And I'm like, "Oh my God, that's good. Oh God, I'm going to have to be funny. I'm going to have to." know my football again you know and um, so i went oh yeah, yeah i'd love to do that so i remember the first time i went in and it was again it was a queen margaret driving at the bbc studios this is tam cowan and i'm like hello tam he's like all right okay this is this is a good warm start and uh, so we get into the studio you know we got our scripts and everything and like you know i've been spending that week going right i've got a couple of wee funnies i'm gonna go Oh, and if you'd seen Hibs, then that would be that, would be that. And then I wrote down another way, you know, right, so I had a couple of wee funnies up my sleeve. 
And so uh, we get into the Jewish show, and of course I'm reading the script, holding the show together. Tam's there to do what Tam does brilliantly. And then I remember, and I thought, right, this is my time. Crack would be funny. And then, of course, Tam, if you'd seen Hibbs, had him and, and, and told my joke, and he sat like that. Stony silence. <laughs> Not a thing. Just anyway. All right, okay. And then carried on, right? I'm dying on my arse, right, in front of Tam. He's not helping me at all. He's not cracking a smile. And so by the end of the show, I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm never going to get asked back again. I'll never get asked back again. It's like, he hates me. Guy can't stand me. He's, for some reason, he just doesn't like me. So I walked away. And then two weeks later, my agent phones up again. Oh, uh, the BBC have been in touch. They want you to cover off the ball again. I'm like, you're kidding me. I said, Tam, can here? No, no, no. The Tam loved you. The other one, you're back. So I went back and I'm like, I'm so surprised to be here. And Tam goes, why? I said, I thought you thought we got on great. I goes, I did, but you, just, you didn't laugh at any of my jokes or anything. He goes, oh, I didn't laugh at anybody's jokes, except my own. Um, <laughs> so so <laughs> that's, and that's kind of, that was a, a little lesson learned about how to, how to work with Tam. But um, I've, I've, I've worked with him loads of times at sporting dinners and um, I've been on off the ball on a couple of occasions with him and Stuart. And, uh, oh, they're just, they're just great pals and... and um, yeah, we're in touch quite a lot, text and stuff over the over the football season mostly. But uh, okay, Tam's uh, Tam's, and I wouldn't say a bad word against him. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought so. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's certainly an iconic. On, on he's an iconic figure, obviously. Um, yeah. I think. I think um, you know what where he's consistent is he. he can't stand either the old firm and a lot of the old firm fans don't like him for that's, that. That's the secret. <laughs> that is the secret that shows success. You know, you've got Tam Cowan there, a motherwell fan, Stuart Cosgrove, a big St. Johnston fan, and both polar opposites with regards to individuals, but yet clearly big pals who love their own teams. And, you know, you can never accuse them of any form of uh, old firm bias. And, and that's what was groundbreaking at the time to come out of the BBC to be to put, put on a programme that was so anti the old firm if you like it was taking the mickey out of celtic taking the mickey out of rangers it never been done before um so that that was it and, and they've, they've stuck to that and that's been i think that's been a key ingredient in the success of of off the ball and um yeah groundbreaking stuff really is yeah definitely it was definitely refreshing at the time and um, it's still welcome now these days right. um so yeah. as we mentioned uh, before we came on the show um we've got um predictions game against Alan Graham for the lower leagues he's currently 8-5 okay. up so um, you've kindly said that you would um, represent us so three championship games <laughs> because with that, although league 1 and league 2 are back this week it's going to be difficult to gauge form when they've not played for three months so um, we'll go stick with three championship games on Saturday so first of all Arbroath versus Hearts we know who you want to win but what do you think the score's going to be? It's been an interesting season for Hearts hasn't it because I think there was this great idea that they were going to absolutely romp the league. And as much as they haven't quite romped it, they've certainly been pretty convincing with regards to the results. Performances, perhaps, not so much. You know, they've, they've had, been uh, quite uh, average, in my little, opinion. But they're, they're been, still romping yeah, it. But, but they're still romping it. And that's, that's unfortunate because I kind of thought... Because when we were down in the championship, you know, and, and the championship had this sort of reputation, Dundee United found out that, found this out, that once you were down there, getting out is not easy. You know, it was tricky. It was a tricky league to get out. And I think a lot of a lot of Hibs fans certainly were, were thinking that was going to be the case for Hearts, but it's proven not to be. And you can't, you know, you can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah, they're going to they're going to win the league. Perhaps not as convincing as a lot of their fans would have had you believe at the start of the season. And I think it has been a. Uh, a, a bit of a rough ride for them, and, and they're perhaps not as uh, ready for the Premier League as as they might think. So I think you know they've still got to be work done 
for them before uh, before they, they they play in the in the Premier League next season. But yeah, it's a given that they're going to they're going to win the league. Um, well, they get. I mean, again, you know, they can they can they can slip up against any side in in, in that division. But um, yeah, I, I I think the way they are at the moment, they'll they'll beat Arbroath. Um, but not. I don't think they've beaten anyone really all that convincingly since the start of the season. I don't think I think they beat Dundee five 0 or something. Um, I would have been watching too closely, you understand. Yeah. Um, but I would say two one hearts against Arbroath. I would yeah. say so. Yeah. Um, Dunfermline currently in second place against Inverness Calthas, who beat um, Wraith Rovers last night as we speak. Um, what's your yeah. for that one? Again, again, I was expecting more from from both Dunfermline and. Inverness this season. Wraith Rovers too, you know, I'd like to have seen that more of a an interesting pagger uh for uh, for the championship. But Dunfermline and Inverness I could see that being a, a lame nil nil or one one. I don't think it'll be a goals fest. Yeah. What are you going with one one or nil nil? I'll get I'm more confidence in Dunfermline's going so so go one one. Okay. And Morton, who are currently eighth in the league against Queen of South, have been in good form apart from last weekend they lost to Alwa. Queen of South have been good eh, over the last few years. Mm. You know, Stephen Doby, I think, has been there. Legendary He's not scored player. as much this no, season. Not scored as much this season, but you know, there was a time it was like getting back at Hibs. You know, I remember yeah. when he was at Hibs. Yeah. You know, back in that that era of young players, and uh, it was it's incredible what he was doing at that age. But yeah, as you say, Queen of the South have been decent. Green at Morton. Yeah, so you got. I, I would say I was. Maybe now's the time for Stephen Dobby to start scoring goals. So let's give him a hat trick and Queen of South beat Green and Morton 3 0. 3 0. Oh, interesting. That'll be. <laughs> if that comes up, Grant, we will owe you. We will certainly owe you one when slot time's over. <laughs> so um, in with the um, what we call the slow fire questions. Um, so who's your favourite Panto co star? You can name <sighs> one if you're more comfortable with that. Well, I would have to. I would have to see my big pal Andy Gray, who we lost at the start of this year, and Alan okay. Stewart, to to be part of such a magic uh, team is 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 irreplaceable. And it's you know that uh, yeah, I mean it's um, um yeah, it's 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 an experience that I never expected, but uh, and, and not think any of us expected that this sort of partnership to, to come. It grew organically in front of the audience and uh, the producers just kept having us back because basically we were having so much fun off stage in the pub and going out that that began to spill on stage and our friendship and our love for each other just kind of grew and the audience really took to that and that that's that was the key to our success and that's why uh, I think it, it became as, as popular as, as it did. So, so yeah, it's got to be my partnership with Alan and Andy and... Um, you know, I've been very lucky. You know, I've worked with so many great, great names from legends of the British business world, like Christopher Biggins. I worked my first panto with him. I did two years with Cannon and Ball. Um, I worked with Elaine C. Smith. I worked with the brilliant Gerard Kelly, mm-hmm. who was buttons personified. He was just, he was, he could create mayhem and magic, and on stage and off, uh, and the audience loved him. Um, so. So yeah, I've been I've been very fortunate with the, the people that I've learned off because effectively, you know, as I say, I didn't train to go to drama college, so I had to learn my stagecraft and learn my way around a stage by basically just doing it. And so I learned off all these people and all these these wonderful performers. Um, but uh, yeah, at the top, I mean, my relationship with Alan Stewart and Andy Gray is uh, 
is uh, is one to be cherished. Gerard Kelly, another um, one that didn't really like football for what I know, but he's well known for playing the Catholic who signed for Celtic. He never made the second half because he was at mass. Yes. Um, and, After and, scoring seven goals in the first half. Right. How did he not score any? They said, were you injured? No, I was away at mass. Um, <laughs> Kelly was brilliant and uh, he was obviously loved up here for all his comedy and his comedic performances in Panto and Scotch and Rye and City Lights and everything like that, but he was also a brilliant villain in Panto and Soap, I beg your pardon, and in Brookside particularly. I know he, did, he was a villain in EastEnders as well, but he was a brilliant baddie in Brookside. <clears throat> and then, of course, working with Ricky Gervais in uh, Extras as Bunny, uh, the pantomime director, and all that wonderful sketch he ended up doing with George Michael on, I think it was Hampstead Heath. Uh, Kelly was just irreplaceable, just fantastic. Yeah. And another one we've just lost too soon. Exactly, and out of the villains that you've played, what's your favourite one? I th- I think it would be Hibernia. She was uh, she's my favourite. She was uh, yeah, that, that was because that was the role I really really wanted to play was the the wicked stepmother, and I'd done Cinderella a few times over the years up until that point, but never got that role. I'd been an ugly sister, I'd been Dandini, I'd uh, done a, the various parts in Cinderella but when I got to be the wicked stepmother because I think she's probably the worst villain in all of Panto she's not magic she's not got um, powers but she's just bad and also because she's meant to be Cinderella's stepmother who's meant to be looking after her but actually she makes Cinderella's life hell and it's that whole thing of marrying into a family and treating one of the kids badly and uh, ooh <laughs> uh, when you get that scene right, when you tear up the ticket for the the ball for Cinderella, you can uh, you can f- feel the venom from the audience, and I love it. Maybe she, maybe she'll make an appearance at Easter Road. Who knows? Um, Who knows? <laughs> I've still got high heels. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you were to play a former player or manager or current player or manager at Hibs, who would it be and why? Former player or manager, current player or manager, who would it be? Uh, oh, no. Oh, gosh, right. Think, story, think. Um, who could I be manager? I would I would love to have a go at being Eddie Turnbull, actually. Eddie Turnbull. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, talk about the pantomime villain. As much as uh, Eddie was, I think Eddie was a hard, hard man and ran that club with a, a rod of iron. Um, so if there was ever a film about Hibs or if ever a film about Eddie Turnbull, to play him because he was a hard, hard man. Um, yeah, um, yeah, that'd be good. Eddie Turnbull, give me, give me, give me Eddie. That's a, that's a good shout. That. What's your favourite tipple? White wine. Uh, a nice glass of white wine. Uh, probably a bit too much of that over lockdown. <laughs> uh, hence the excess pounds. But um, yeah, I love a glass of white wine. Um, Prosecco as well, inherited that from Andy Gray. Yeah. Uh, I miss my beers, I miss a pint. Um, I don't drink as much beer as I used to, um, but I miss, I miss a good pint. And if I was to drink a spirit, it would be a vodka, but I'm steaming already just thinking about it. But yeah, my, my favourite tipple would be a lovely cold glass of white wine. Yeah, I think I've asked this question in reverse because um, what I should have asked first was what's your death row meal? Because that's white wine's obviously accompanying this. Yeah, uh, I think if anyone, if you ask that to any one of my mates or, or anyone who knows me, I would say it would be a Chinese. I um, I could eat Chinese six, seven days a week. Um, 
never get enough of it. And it's always like, what we get for carry, Dad? Could we get... And they just know. They just know I'm going to say Chinese. So they always try and get in first. All my mates, you know, I'm addicted to spare ribs. You know, can't get enough of spare. I love spare ribs. I love the, all the starters that you can get. And going to a good Chinese is just is just my idea of heaven. So, uh, so yeah, if I was a, on death row for being a naughty boy, give me some uh, spare ribs and a special chow mein and I'd be happy. That's, that sounds good, actually. And mm. We like our pie chat on the podcast. What's your favourite pie? Well, if I just had a pie tonight from a tea or a chicken no. and um, uh, chicken and ham pie. A chicken uh, and ham, really? Oh, chicken oh, and ham, yeah. The, the store down the road from me does these nice fresh butcher's pies. Um, I love a pie. I love a pie, but particularly at the football, I think there's just something yes. about that whole experience of the pie at half time. And, and even it's funny, you know, because you know when I worked in hospitality, you generally get a lunch before the game, so you'd have a lunch. And then you come and go, oh, a pie. And, uh, you know, my dad would go, oh, can I, say, can I eat another pie? He says, I've had that lunch. Or, oh, I don't have to have his. Um, so, no, I love a good pie at the football. Love a good pie at the football. Brun sauce. Brun sauce all the way around the crust. And then stuff it in the gub. Fantastic. See, I'd be putting ketchup in mine, so. Um, ketchup? Uh, yes. Ketchup on a pie? Steak oh, yeah. pie? Mm. Oh, no. Not a safe pie, mince pie for me. Mince pie for me. A mince pie, yeah, I like a good scotch pie. I, I tell scotch you, a real takes yeah. me right back. Takes me right back to my childhood. <coughs> yeah, excuse me, is a scotch pie, chips and beans. That yes. was that was heaven on a plate. You know, we used to get the commie pool, the Commonwealth pool. You go swimming, and if you had enough money, we'd go up to the canteen afterwards, and from the from behind the counter, a scotch pie, chips and beans all over the pie. Even now, beans all over the pie. On the top, fantastic. Can he beat it? Sounds good. Um, I tell you, I tell you, some not only will um, pie companies be happy when the football restarts. So will Bovril because you very rarely see people buying Bovril what you drink in the house. No, (laughs) they must be getting. But again, I enjoy a Bovril at the match, and it is that kind of oh, it's the only time I ever drink Bovril is at the football. Um, And uh, yeah, they'll be they'll be delighted as well. I'm quite sure. Yeah, definitely. in terms of pantomime villains when you're at the football, who's the biggest for you? It's funny. Um, try to think who would... Jim Goodwin. Jim Goodwin used to noise me up and wind me up whenever Hibs played St Mirren. He was always one of these players. And it's an interesting one. Talk about you know transformation. Because he, on the football pitch, he would go... Sp- going hard and going for the dirty tackles and always nick, 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 and always giving it a bit of that. But now that he's a manager, St. Mirren, one eloquent, well-groomed, yes. bloody, again, a handsome bugger he is as well, and a uh, fit guy. But, you know, to go from that terrier on the park, um, and, uh, yeah, I always used to get really wound up when Jim Goodwin was, was playing. He always used to take out, was it, you know, Scott Brown or whoever it was playing for us at the time, he would always take him out. He was a dirty bastard. Um, but, uh, yeah, but what a lovely bloke. And, and, yeah, I think he's doing a great job at St. Man. So yeah. just shows you how people, how people are on the pitch and exactly. how they are on the pitch. Exactly. Mm. And I'd take him as Aberdeen manager, but whether that'll happen is another That's thing. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because it's funny. He had a tough start, Jim Goodwin. I think when we played him uh, at Easter Road, Paul Heckingbottom had just started and we'd given him a, I think we'd beat, I think we'd beat them. Only just or something. Anyway, and they've been a really tricky run. I thought, oh, it's not going to work out well for Jim, but he's really turned around this yeah. season. Yeah, I think he's done a really good job. But that's it's, it's interesting, and um, it's not surprising that he's mm-hmm. he's getting uh, mentioned for the 
Aberdeen contender, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't think we will get him because he signed a new contract and then um, we're paying off McInnes and probably won't be able to pay for compensation. But we'll wait and, okay, wait you've and see. Found, you've always found money for players when they were just about to sign for Hibs. So <laughs> did he start this? Oh, we probably can't afford them. Nonsense. <laughs> if like what we'll do, what we could do is we could start a rumor that Jim Goodwin is going to sign for Hibs, and then miraculously Aberdeen will find the money and sign him. So you know, and then we just stay with. Uh, Stay with Jack Ross, which will be fine. Listen, you can have Ojo in the summer if you want. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. I we think you don't any Ojo. So one went to Rangers, one went to Aberdeen, and uh, quite happy about that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so in terms of your favourite player at Hibs, um, who would you say your favourite player was? Oh, that's like, that is that is impossible to answer. But yeah, I would, I would say, I would, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, one of the, non-obvious ones, you know, because, you know, most Hibs fans would easily go for a Sozzi or Bryden or O'Connor or Pat Stanton or Laurie Riley or Joe Baker, all these big, fantastic players, but I just, I, genuinely, it's, it's, it is a three-way time. I've been thinking about it, you know, it would be a sort of David Murphy, a Kevin McAllister, who I just loved when he played for Hibs. He, I know uh, he was a big legend at Falkirk, but I, th- I think we kind of we kind of got the best of him the short the, the short time that he was at Hibs. He was brilliant for us, and uh, John O'Neill as well. I, I loved John O'Neill playing for Hibs. Um, can I only get one, or can I? Have... You can uh, go with the two if you can't separate them. Right, let me go for Crunchy because he's been a long time favourite of mine, and I wrote in his testimonial program at Falkirk uh, how much I loved him as a player. And David Murphy, David Murphy, I think was just class, yeah. class personified for me. Yeah. Exactly. Before I get your best hips loving, I need to ask this question. So if you were to have a five or side team of actors, fellow actors, who would be in it? As in actors who can play football? Well, attempt to play football. Actors who play football. God. Uh, who have we got then? Um, Dougie Scott. Big hips fan. I would have Irvin Welsh. Nobody would tackle Irvin Welsh. Nobody would go anywhere near Irvin Welsh. <laughs> So they'd be in my side. Um, I'd get fish. He'd go and oh, go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would. How many is that? What did you see? Uh, uh, Andy Murray, because he would just oh, be yeah. his fitness levels would be absolutely phenomenal. And um, the Proclaimers. <laughs> That's my fifth player. <laughs> Your fifth player to make it. Well, okay, all the six and side teams says you've got the two of them in. <laughs> and are you just being the manager on the sub the sidelines? Yeah, my time on the pitch. Yeah, it's it's not worth talking about. So okay. yeah, I would leave it. I would leave it to the guys that know the way around the park. Yeah. Have you ever played for Hibs in like, a charity game or anything like that? Yes, and that's why I would say I would never go back on again. I I, I remember getting asked to go in goals for a, a competition for a half-time penalty shootout with competition winners. So there was five competition winners who'd entered this thing in the daily record mm-hmm. to play at half-time. Funnily enough, against Aberdeen uh, at <laughs> Easter Road. And so I went in goals, and I actually went to all the trouble of going to... And I, I even asked if I could go and train with the, the Hibs goalkeepers, which I did. And I had a couple of, you know, I had a morning with the, with the Hibs goalies. I think Jim Lane was in goal for us at that point. Anyway, and uh, so the Saturday comes and these five uh, guys come along to take penalties against me. And of course, they're doing it, you know, they're serious. They don't want it, you know, they're not doing it as a laugh. They want to score each penalty. And of course, everyone is on target and everyone's in the back of the net. I don't get near a shot 
right? And this is going on and going on and going on. Of course, it's meant to be a knockout. Whoever misses gets out. None of them were missing. They were all going in. I wasn't saving any of them. They were all going in. And I'll never forget, it was at one point, I went the right way. I went down to my left and I saw the ball just going. I went, it's going to hit the post. And it did hit the post. And I went, yeah, beauty. And it hit the post, came back, smacked me in the pus and then went in the net. I still couldn't save it. I mean, my hands are here and it hits me in the face and goes in the back of the net. And I remember looking over the tunnel and Hibbs and Aberdeen are standing in the tunnel waiting to come out. And I'm going, I'm sorry, I got booed off. I got booed off by the Hibs fans. I was that bad. And it's still my dad, who was in the stand watching, who was, who was a great player in his day. He was a goalkeeper for Edinburgh and Edinburgh schools and everything like that, played for the mm. army. And he was standing. He was just absolutely mortified. I brought shame on the stock goalkeeping legacy that my dad had passed down to me. But no, um, yeah, that was that was the only time. And I, I'd done a couple of fun things, family family fun days and everything, but no. Um, oh, there was a, a Meadowbank game. As well. No, dre- uh, rod, rotten, rotten. Played for Scotland against England at Wembley. Rod Stewart was the captain. That was a brilliant night. We beat England 3-2. And uh, yes. Nigel Benn was on their side. And uh, uh, it was a big boxer, Ainsley. Uh, it's a Harry. Harry, Harry. Not easily Harry. He's a cook, isn't he? Um, oh, Ainsley, um, Harrison. Boxer. Oddly Harrison. Oddly Harrison. Why am I saying Ainsley? Oddly Harrison. Ainsley. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm standing in the tunnel at Wembley. Ainsley Scotland kit on. <laughs> at Wembley. Got the Scotland kit on. Oddly Harrison is standing next to me. Right, he's about seven foot tall. And I went, "Oh, big man." And he looked at me and I went, "You're getting it." And then I ran. Although, <laughs> the way out the tunnel um, but luckily enough you know I took Nigel Ben out in the penalty box blatant penalty hacked him down beauty and the referee never gave it and uh, we went on to win and my good friend Mark Finlay who's a big Aberdeen fan used to work on North Sound Radio uh, he played with us that night and uh, he scored about two wonder goals it was brilliant Bobby Bluebell was, was playing with us with uh, Justin Curry and uh, Doogie Vipond was there we had Brian McFadden from Westlife He'd, he joined us because is he playing an England-Scotland play game? <laughs> Kerry Katona and uh, Natasha from Atomic Kitten, they were playing for England. He was going to be Kerry at the time. Aye. So he played for us. But yeah, it was nuts. An absolutely bonkers, drunken night. Uh, Bobby Murdoch was our coach for Celtic. And yeah, it was wow. crazy night. But uh, yeah. yeah, but I was a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful footballer. But I managed to have a couple of jammy um, experiences in my time. That's good. But, well, at least we know where the curse of the Hibs goalkeeper started. So, uh, <laughs> well, we've had no bad goalkeepers over the years. Yeah, I mean, Jim Layton, after uh, after Gordon and Leighton, it sort of went downhill for a bit. But that's yeah, a high experiment. Marciano's good Malkowski. Marciano's been decent. Yeah, he's been very decent. And uh, yeah, I think we've seen 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 him. Yeah, he'll be away in the summer, I think. But um, yeah, we've had a good a good run with him. Conrad Logan as well. You know, women's superhero goalkeeper, brilliant, unbelievable stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Roy right. the Rover stuff. So, um, right, yeah, we'll get you on to naming your best Hibs 11 of your lifetime and manager. Right, well, this is, a, this is interesting. Um, so I've gone for 4-4-2, four, four, right? Mm-hmm. Four defenders, four midfield. They may not play in this particular, but however, this is this is the ones that I'm going for. Uh, in goal, I'm going for Budgie, right? <laughs> John Burridge was <laughs> utterly bonkers, but what a personality. And, and like, I think you know, looking at my team, you'll you'll get why I love football so much, right? When I'm when when what makes me excited about football, I love being entertained, right? And I love 
you know, and that goes to, you know, what I do on stage and, and on the radio and things. And football can be brilliant and entertaining as well. And sometimes when you get the right characters in a team, oh, you can be entertained and you can be off your seat. So Budgie would, would bring that to to a game. He would do something absolutely bonkers. Before the match, or you'd hear stories about him having his wife throwing oranges at him while watching his film on a Saturday night without telling him, catch! And so just to keep him sharp, you know. Uh, so Budgie and go. Uh, as I mentioned in, in my back four, I would go for David Murphy, one of my favourite players. Um, I'd stick Yogi Hughes in there because um, he's just hips through and through, mm-hmm. and uh, he is uh, an absolute character and you know leaf oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> as is Darren McGregor. I've gone for Darren McGregor as well because I think he sort of personifies Hibbs. He was, you know, it was brilliant when for for us that season that we won the cup and. I was lucky enough to be back at Easter Road when we, uh, after the match, and the team came back in and he came straight up to me. He goes, what about that big man? I'm like, fuck it, bro. Um, so Dan McGregor, for me, just, just he's, he's hips through and through. And uh, I love the fact that he's kind of made a wee resurgence this season. And, uh, you know, he's, he's still he's still playing and still doing what he does. Big dads, didn't he miss him. And I'm also going to chuck in Lewis Stevenson at the back as well, just because... He's won both league and Scottish Cup. He's the only Hibs player to have ever done that. Um, he's he's a wonderful uh, uh, professional, and I think he's going to do great things for um, uh, Josh Doig, who's under his wing at the moment. And when Hibs beat Hearts 2-0 at Tynecastle uh, a couple of seasons ago, Lewis Stevenson gave me and my pal a lift to the pub after the match, Lovely. which just shows you how class... He is, you know, with others, you know, you, you beat hearts in a derby. What do you do? You give some big idiot and his pal a lift up to Toe Cross <laughs> to the pub. So uh, Lewis Stevenson, hero in my eyes. Um, my midfield would uh, would be John O'Neill and Kevin McAllister on either wing. I don't know if that would cause conflict between their favourite positions, but both of them running up and down the wing causing chaos would be brilliant. Uh, in the middle, we'd have uh, uh, Latipi uh, causing chaos and kind of stuck between at the back of the midfield. Helping out the defence as he did build out Frank Sozzi. So he would be there. And up front, oh, difficult decision. Such a difficult decision. quality to pick from. So much quality to pick from. You know, I remember Darren Jackson signing for Hibs. I was so excited about that. And he had a barren spell. It went about five or six games before he could score a goal. We got the best out of Darren Jackson, I think, as well. I think his first goal for Hibs was... His best form for Scotland was um, coincided with that period at Hibs. Yeah, yeah. he He was brilliant when he played for us. Um... But he's not there. So the two that I've gone for, again, Hibs through and through, much excitement, brilliant player, super guy is uh, Keith Wright. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would put him up because he was just a goal machine. And, you know, again, we got him at the right time, signed for Hibs, Hibs fan, got him from Dundee. He was prolific with Dundee and he just came. We scored every round in that that uh, cup run when we won the League Cup uh, at Hamden. So you see, he would have to be in there. And to play alongside Keith Wright, I know I'm going to come off this chat and go, oh, what about him? Oh, what about him? What about him? So many great uh, strikers, goal scorers at Ibs. Andy Walker. But no, um, I'm not going to choose him. Um, I would probably go with Derek Riordan. Again, for entertainment. You know, when Derek Riordan was was playing when he was on form, again, we got the best out of him when when he played at Ibs. he was a wonderful, you know, scorer of, you know, from a dead ball, from with left, right foot header. You know, he would score goals just for fun when he was at Hibs. And um, him and Keith Wright up front on their day, 
Oof, what a pairing that would be. So yeah, I think that would be my um, that would be my that would be my Hibs eleven. Yeah, and who's the manager? Who is the manager? <sighs> Interesting, because we're again. We've it's not Terry Butcher, I take it. <laughs> not Terry Butcher, funnily enough, no. Uh, that wasn't the first name that sprung to mind. Um, but you know, you could you could go back to. Although so it's got to be in my lifetime. So Eddie, Eddie Turnbull was the manager in my lifetime. Um, uh, Pat Stanton was the manager in my lifetime. We also had Alec Miller, of course. And then we went on an interesting run with the likes of Bobby Williamson and uh, Tony Mowbray and uh, John Collins, of course. Yogi. But you know what? I, th- I think I would, I, would, I would just have Alan Stubbs because he brought us the cup home. And, <laughs> you know, he... he his time at Hibs, although, you know, we lost the playoff game with Falkirk, we lost the, the League Cup final uh, to Ross County. Big, big games. But again, I think the fact that we got beat at Hamden, Falkirk knocked us out in the playoffs, so we stayed in the championship. And I think that set us up for that. You know, that's the way I'm looking upon it anyway. That, that set us up for that. Because if we had gone that run of potentially winning the league or getting promotion, potentially winning the league and Scottish Cup double and coming away with nothing. That would have been just horrendous. But getting that Scottish Cup, again, wiped the slate clean. So, um, so yeah, Alan Stubbs, not the best manager that Hibs had. I think it's, it's probably fair to say. But again, because I'm, I'm basing this on entertainment and happy times and who I love to watch at that point. And uh, yeah, when, when Alan Stubbs was his manager, we had a we had a good time. I think, to be fair, the manager who ended 114 years of misery um, was always going to be held as a hero. Um, had yeah. Pat Fenland done it a couple of years earlier, he would have been a hero as well. And he was not a great Hibs manager. But he got his two cup finals. But yeah, yeah. I understand the stuff's choice, absolutely. Um, I'll come to the end of the podcast. We've went in the overtime. Yeah, I've weathered on. How long is that? That's about an hour and a half. Yeah, that's so over 90 minutes. I don't, I don't, I don't know get to the end of it. <laughs> no, but that's something that shows how good this has been because you know it's just flowed and it's been great. Um, and thank you very much for your time, Grant. Not at all. Listen, I've enjoyed it and I'll um look for I'll follow I'll, I'll follow you and I'll uh, I'll give it a good listen when it comes out. Fantastic, Grant. Cheers. Mm-hmm.